We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Welcome to the podcast, We Saved You a Seat. My name is Tamara Crabtree, and I'm with Oklahoma Family Network. On today's podcast, I'm excited to have Mandy and Christina O'Connor. Today, they'll walk us through their daughter's birth experience, and then tomorrow, part two, we will continue our conversation of early interventions, therapies, doctor appointments, and ultimately a diagnosis. Welcome, Mandy and Christina. Okay. Oh my gosh. Where do I start with you two? Um, it's a great question. Where would you like to start? <laughs> I know. Where do we want to start? Why don't you introduce yourselves as a family? I think that that would be a great place for us to start and, uh, and tell us a little bit about Laurel. Sure. Um, my name is Christina and Mandy is my wife and we've been married for uh, 14 years. 14 years now. Oh, yeah. And we have Laurel who's five and a half. We planned her for a really long time and tried for a long time to get pregnant with her. And then we were thrilled and still thrilled, obviously, to have her. And um, she's been a big blessing to us and kind of completed our little family of three. It took us about nine months to get pregnant with her. So yeah. Uh, you know, so, that was kind of the beginning yeah. of all that. <laughs> the beginning is the fertility stuff, which yeah. is also super fun uh, to, but that'll be for a different type of podcast. Yeah. Right? Okay. We, we can take that on a different podcast on a different day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And not that that's not a, a very important piece to this journey, because I think that that is a very important piece. Um, and, but yeah, we, because I really want us to be able to focus on her birth experience and the trauma y'all have experienced together as a family and then her diagnosis. Um, why don't we start with, uh, we'll just kind of do a full disclosure that uh, with your permission, of course, um, I met you guys through your NICU experience. Yes. And, um, and I, I remember meeting you. I remember meeting y'all for the first time. But obviously for y'all, that was a very the capacity to remember things from that day are not, so you may not remember meeting me, but I would love your thoughts on entering that NICU. What brought you there? Tell me about y'all going to the hospital. I've heard your story a little bit before, but I want you to tell the world. Sure. Um, I guess I'll start. Okay. And um, so we had a normal pregnancy. So we thought um, everything was totally normal up until I was 40 weeks and one day. And I had um, taken the Friday off of work just to kind of like relax. And um, Mandy came home and said to me, um, hey, have you been feeling Laurel very much? I haven't heard you talk about her kicking. And I was like, oh, you know, she was really active yesterday. So she's just resting. So we didn't really have a ton of activity. Um, but she was notorious for, and still is, for being very highly active between 1 and 3 a.m. So we woke up, I want to say maybe midnight, 1 a.m., somewhere in there, and there was not really that activity that we're used to. And her having said that previously about, um, you know, has she been kicking a lot today, kind of like set off some alarm bells, if you will. So 
you know, I, we had our, we had our bag packed because we were already at 40 plus one. So we were ready to go and I'm a planner. So everything was ready. We decided to go ahead and head to the hospital just to get checked out. And we were so sure that everything was fine that we didn't even bring our bag. We just were like, we're just going to go check. And so on the way, I thought that I felt her and I was trying to convince Mandy to turn around and go home. And she, I was like, it's fine. It's fine. We don't need to go in and bother anybody. It's going to be fine. So she's like, no, we're already on our way. It's the middle of the night. It's fine. She had called up there and they said, yeah, just come up and we'll take a look and make sure everything's fine. And, you know, it's no big deal. So we did that and we um, checked right in um, to the delivery floor and they got us in right away to a room. If I remember correctly, they did a couple of quick tests and then um, called for an ultrasound. The ultrasound tech came in and we still thought everything was probably fine. And um, that ultrasound lasted, I think, 30 or 40 minutes. It was a long time. It was a significantly long time. And that was my first thought of like, oh, something may actually be wrong here. Um, oh, I'm sorry. We did like the whole juice thing, like drink the juice, lay on your side, see if she moves. None of that happened. So anyway, that prompted the trip and prompted the test. So the ultrasound tech seemed a bit worried. She said, hey, the doctor will be in shortly to visit with you. And the doctor came in immediately. Uh, so that was like warning, warning number two. Um, that was kind of odd. Um, they came in immediately. He said, hey, the baby's in distress. It's not really moving much. We could try a natural delivery if you want to, but it's my opinion that she will not do well with that and that we need to probably get her out of there as fast as we can. And so he said, I'll give you a minute to discuss. And we kind of just looked at each other and within 30 seconds, we're like, let's just do it. And so um, we said, let's go ahead and do it. And it felt like instantly I was um, signing forms, getting an IV, being rushed to the room. It all happened lightning fast. Um, so before I knew it, we were in surgery with an emergency cesarean having Laurel. So uh, it took them a couple of tries, I think, to get my um, spinal, I don't know if it's an epidural or if it's just a spinal block. Then she was taken out. And the um, at that point, our regular OBGYN had shown up. So he was in the room with us along with the emergency room or the emergency doctor on call. Doctor on call. Mm -hmm. So they got her out and we immediately obviously realized that there was no sound. There was no crying. There, were, there was nothing. Not to interrupt, but something that I uh, recall quite vividly is when they were working on getting Laurel out, the, um, and, uh, the anesthesiologist behind us putting that little window down uh. and then immediately putting it right back up. So as soon as that happened, I started to feel like we had been warned when we went in there that they would have some NICU staff there. They said, you know, we'll bring in some NICU staff. They're just going to be here for just in case. Um, cause clearly they didn't feel like she was in as much distress as what they found once they got in there. So. Yeah. So they got her out. I could see anything. Mandy could. Yeah. Um, so we start to hear, it seemed like kind of some chaos, yeah. <laughs> um, frankly. And um, I remember our doctor, our OBGYN turning to me and um, in the midst of that saying, hey, it doesn't look good for the baby. It, it, you know, she's, she doesn't look good. Yeah. And um, Mandy just kept saying, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah. And then from my point of view, I can see them. They have Laurel um, on a table and they are doing vigorous chest compressions, which I have never seen on like 
a full-grown human in real life before so seeing it on a small infant is pretty traumatizing it's something that I'm I've I've just kind of started recently gotten to the point where I feel like I need to start working through my trauma with the whole experience so still kind of hard for me to talk about but you know every time we tell the story like that's immediately what I see is them working on working her. on her and I don't know if, if anyone's ever seen uh resuscitation before but it it's it's pretty violent is the best word I can think of it's not like in the movies um it's very it just looks painful and uh, I've never been so scared in my life <laughs> as I was at that moment uh, I'm watching this happening over here they're they're on towards my left and on my right you know they're still working on sewing Christina back up um they're telling us you know she's she's got the cord wrapped around her neck um the neonatologist brought me over to the side at this point and said you know she had the cord wrapped um she uh had she had aspirated on meconium the amniotic fluid is stained really badly and you could tell that she'd been in distress that she had been in for distress for quite some time now we we don't know how long um she had been in distress but it's been it's been a minute um and he looks at me and he says you know we've been working on the we've been working on the baby for about i think 22 minutes at this point and he says uh, we normally stop at 25 but we're going to go to 30. Um, and then he says, you can go and tell mom if you'd like. And I'm like, great. That's just what I'd love to do is now kind of go over and try to tell my wife who is in the middle of getting sewn up that it it's really quite dire. I don't want to have to deliver that news. So I walk back over to Christina. It feels like this all happened very fast, but I distinctly remember him saying it's been 22 minutes. Uh, we normally stop at 25. We'll go to 30. Um, During which time they were doing um, the shots of... Yeah, she. they were calling for several rounds of um, epi. She got, I think, three or four uh, different shots of, of epinephrine. They were calling specialists, resuscitation specialists mm -hmm. in, one of which we still communicate with to this day because... Um, we feel strongly that she helped save our kiddo's life, um, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just okay. wanted to mention that part. Yeah. So um, I walk back over to Christina, and about the time I, I feel like I get to Christina, they wheel Laurel out. And, and I remember you turning to me and saying, "Look at her. You need to look at her," um, mm -hmm. because we didn't know at that point if that she, we, we would see her yeah, again. We didn't know or if what. she was alive or if she was not alive or what was really happening with her at this point um and i remember seeing her and she was just like she looked terrible she looked swollen and gray and scary mm -hmm. um so um so i had called my parents before christina and christina's family before, while they were taking me back yeah before we had gone back into the or and let them know and i remember telling i remember telling them i was like don't rush up here we're just having an emergency C-section, you know, everything's just going to be fine. Like, we we were so sure that everything was going to be okay just because everything had been okay. great throughout okay. the whole pregnancy. There had been no issues. So, um, while they're finishing up, 
you know, with Christina, I kind of left the room and my parents were already there. They had, you know, they couldn't go back to sleep. So um, I, I kind of remember talking to them and telling them, you know, Christina's going to be okay. It doesn't look good for Laurel. Um, and that's when things kind of start getting fuzzy as far as timelines and everything else that happened. But I do remember, you know, getting back to the, to our room after, after delivery, you know, Christina was clearly like in complete shock. Um, I, I, I'm sure I was in some form of shock too, but I kind of went into like business mode. I was like, okay, I need to start figuring out what I can do to kind of fix what I can fix and, you know, hold it together and make sure Christina is okay and make sure our family is okay. And, you know, so I, my brain immediately flipped to that. Like it's, it's kind of like I turned off all emotion and, um, Christina was, it seemed like handling things kind of remarkably well, uh, which is how I knew she was in shock. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that's not my personality just so you all know I'm kind of a freaker outer so um so like she's you know kind of cracking jokes a little bit clearly at some point that that morning so it was a Friday night when we went in so at some point Saturday morning uh we get a visit from the doctors mm -hmm. um do you want to I think that there were at least three or three or four doctors including the head yeah, of the, there was the NICU, NICU department. department it was like yeah. a pretty significant visit there was the neonatologist, there was uh, definitely a neurologist there, and I can't remember for certain who else. But they said that yeah, I at a, at about 24 minutes, they got a faint heartbeat. Is that? Yeah, about 25 minutes. It was 25 minutes in, they got, they got a faint heartbeat. So at this point, we have now found out that she is alive. She's, they whisked her to the they, NICU. She's in the NICU, um, but she is very critical. Um, they, on a respirator, they yeah. warned us about that. Yeah, but they said that we could come back and see her if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I was too afraid, frankly, to go and see her because what I saw was not acceptable. Like when I saw her go by, she looked terrible, and I was just scared. Like I just didn't want to see a dead baby. Like I just didn't want to see her gone. And I, in my mind, that she was like just not okay. So Mandy was brave enough to deal with it and went back and saw her. Yeah, I went back and saw her. Um, took some pictures. I uh, took some pictures. There was a nurse there working on trying to get an IV set. Um, and she was just kind of like repeatedly, I could see her repeatedly kind of poking, trying to find that vein. And this child is just completely unresponsive. And that's when I finally like broke down. Um, there was a nurse with me. I wish I could remember what nurse it was, but she cried with me. <laughs> So we got one out right there, you know, whenever it was just me back there with, with Laurel and these nurses. And, and she's intubated. She's yeah, she's got all stuff going on. She's got wires everywhere. She's, uh, she's clearly um, retaining a lot of fluid. Um, and the nurse that's trying to put the IV in looks at me and she says, you know, babies are very resilient. And sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes it's not a good thing. So, um, I'm kind of in, okay, there's, there's a good chance we're going to have to make a pretty drastic decision about whether or not we're going to continue treatment uh, for her. 
Uh, so I'm kind of dealing with all of that. Uh, I take a picture of her for Christina so that I can show it to her back in the room and Christina can decide if she feels like she's up to going in there uh, to visit. Yeah, so she came and showed me, I was in the recovery room in our hospital room and they were nice enough to get us a space away from all the delivering mothers, which I thought was exceptionally thoughtful of them um, because that's kind of the last thing we needed to hear at that point. Um, and Mandy showed me the picture and I realized that it wasn't quite as scary as I thought it was going to be. And so I decided that I wanted to go and see her. So um, my sister came and so I, I think it was my sister and me and Mandy and they wheeled me into the NICU and over to Laurel. And I get really emotional during this part, but um, she looked terrible. She just looked terrible. She was really swollen and she was intubated and they had like just little rags on her and she just looked awful, but she was, she was alive and she was pink and she wasn't gray anymore. And I just, I was like, it's my baby. And I, um, I reached out and I grabbed her tiny hand and I said, Laurel, it's your mom. And she responded to me and she opened her tiny eyes and looked over. And I was so relieved. I think everyone was relieved. Yeah. And I started shouting out like, she's here. She's okay. She's here. And I expected like nurses in the movies, like all the doctors to rush in and the nurses to rush in and everybody be like, it's a miracle, um, which didn't actually happen. But um you know, my sister got a picture of that moment. It was, um, I don't know, it was like the moment that I knew everything was going to be okay, no matter what we had to face, no matter how hard it was, no matter what was going on with that kid. It was like, I knew she was there. Like she was there. Um, so that was a big moment for us. I think that that excitement, I guess, didn't last terribly long no. because the doctors very quickly let us know that, um, I can't remember which came first. I think it was that we were asked to sign a DNR and we asked um, what that was and what that meant exactly. And we, um, it means that they don't want, that you agree to not resuscitate if they go, if they crash essentially. And since Mandy had seen the horror of um, having to go through that, we had decided that we would do a partial DNR and um, so basically a chemical only. So if they could give her any medication to help her stay alive, that we were okay with that, but that we didn't want them to do CPR on her again. We also found out in short order that they didn't believe she had functional any, brain any functional brain activity. Yeah. So they had done an EEG and they said, you know, the activity on this EEG is so low that we can't tell if it's actually from her brain or if it's from her heart or if it's just from the, the, the machines in the room. Um, so they did tell us at that point, they're like, there is a treatment at OU, because um, Laurel was not born at OU, uh, with a cooling mat, and we can call them and see if they feel like she would benefit from this treatment. So they called them and the doctor came back and said, you know, OU feels like at this point, she's kind of outside the window where she would benefit from that. And she's so critical. We don't think that she would tolerate the transfer. So 
uh, their exact words were um, that they feel like we should just let nature take its course. Yeah, it was clear by the conversations that they did not think she was going to make it. There was zero expectation, I think, from the medical staff in that NICU that that this child was going to survive at this point. Um, I don't think that at the time, even though we're hearing these words, I don't think that Christina and I, never I really that, ever. grasped that. Um, and, you know, we had all these people come in to talk to, you were one of them and you, we certainly appreciated your presence for sure. Um, but I remember the ethics guy from the hospital coming to talk to us and we're like, why is this man... Like we were very confused. We didn't understand why people were talking to us about about where end we, of life yeah. decisions and whether we wanted to take her home or not. And like it was just very. I was like, "What do you mean? She's she's getting better." It's very confusing. Um, that for that for that whole weekend, for anybody who spent any amount of time in the NICU, I'll just go ahead and say it: the weekend crew is a little bit more relaxed than the daytime weekday crew. So um, <laughs> they were gracious enough to let me do skin to skin with her through that weekend. Um, she was, I would say somewhat responsive. Like we could tell she was there, but it was definitely like not a normal baby or person. It was very, I would say extremely lethargic, extremely, um, limp. limp. Yes. Like, um, she was definitely critically ill, but they um, got her out. We did skin to skin several times and they kept commenting about how well she did when we were doing skin to skin. Um, and we had to be careful because she was intubated. We couldn't move around a lot. We couldn't really do a ton, but we were able to hold her and they're like, oh, her sats are so great whenever you're doing skin to skin. So I'm like, oh, fantastic. I'm just going to sit here until I absolutely have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> like I'm going to sit here as many minutes as I can, as many hours as I can and hold this baby and I'm going to make her well. Um, that was just what I had decided. I'm just going to make this baby well. So then um, we did that through the weekend. She survived the weekend. The Monday morning crew came in and some decisions had been made about um, they felt like maybe there's a chance, you know, she's pulled through the weekend. Um, maybe there's a chance this kid's going to make it. And so we kind of went from a position of, which I didn't know at the time, a position of like, let's let them have their last moments with this kiddo to like, let's try to get this kiddo well. So, yeah. so well, in the meantime, um, overnight on, I believe it was Saturday night, something happened. We don't know all the specifics, but something happened and they, she was they extubated her and she breathed on her own for several hours. And I think that is what kind they of prompted she... them to think that, hey, this kid's got some drive here <laughs> to pull through. Um, so that happened. And then also, and I'm, I can't remember the time frame here, at some point they did a second EEG. And when they did the second EEG, it came back, the words that the doctor used were nearly normal, so which is unheard of that doesn't happen you don't go from basically nothing no brain activity to nearly normal brain activity in the span of a few days like or ever really like that's just not something that happens so it was crazy uh, once we were at that point the the care definitely changed yeah and so that um that came in the form of them letting Christina know that she couldn't, that's me, um, <laughs> them letting me know that 
I was no longer going to be doing skin to skin. And I freaked out. I totally wigged out. I didn't understand. I was like, oh, I'm helping my baby. I'm making her well. And so they were so sweet. Um, this news came over the phone while we were in our, our room, the mm -hmm. recovery room, not in the NICU. So, um, Mandy called and she's like, oh, Christina's kind of like, she doesn't understand. Is there anyone who can have a chat with her? And LaWanda had a chat with me and she was so kind and nice, but I was losing my mind. I was like, I don't understand. I'm just trying to help my baby. And then there's other nurses like crying because they can tell that like I had so much passion and I just wanted to help this child survive. And I just didn't understand why I couldn't hold her. Um, and why I couldn't help her anymore. And turns out it was for a fantastic reason. It was because they wanted to let her rest and heal and get better. Um, and all the movement was kind of disruptive to that. And moving around with the intubation was hard on her body. And so once they explained that it's because, you know, they think that she can do better and that they're trying to just help heal. her and heal her, then I kind of Relax. relaxed on that a little bit. I just didn't understand why that was being taken from me. It felt like that privilege was being taken right. from me. It was very difficult well, it, to hear. It also felt like that was the only thing we could do to help. to help. Right. And they were like stripping us of like the one thing that we had right. that we could physically do to feel like at least that we were doing something to help her. Right. Which I guess is kind of where the feeding struggles then... <laughs> play in to the story yeah I remember having to ask about like the lactation consultant mm -hmm. and starting that whole process I think yeah, because they didn't, they didn't yeah. expect they her didn't. to do well like it wasn't really on the top of everyone's mind and so we kind of started that process and that was its own difficult journey for me. Um, I, it didn't come easily. I was highly stressed out. So it, I did all the things that they say to do, but I think I was just so stressed out and intense and just full of um, anxiety. anxiety and fear and just everything. It just didn't really happen for me. I pumped nonstop. I did power pumping. I did it all night long. I did it um, while the doctors were talking to me. I was just always trying, 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 and it would like be just the tiniest smidgen more. And it's just like, eventually we kind of let go of that several weeks later. It was, it was at least a month later, maybe, yeah. maybe six weeks later, but, um, that just didn't happen for me. And it was really a source of, um, disappointment. I felt like I wasn't helping her in every way that I could. And it was really, really difficult. And so when people struggle with that now, I always try to come from a place of it's okay if you can't. It's, I don't feel like there are a ton of people saying that. Like everyone knows that like the breast milk is best and you want to do that for your kid, but especially in a, in a position of trauma, like it's okay to not be able to do that for your kid. Like that's, it, that was something I really, really wrestled with, um, with struggling in that area as a mom. Um, right. So that was something that was something you did want to do as mom. Oh, yes. I wanted that more than anything. And um, one of the lactation consultants there was fantastic. And um, we had feeding struggles with Laurel. So she wasn't able to take a bottle. Um, she was getting all of her nutrition through an NG tube yeah. through our NICU stay. And they, one were, of, they were letting us try. They let us try for a little while. Her, her stuff was very uncoordinated. They were um, worried she would aspirate yes. on they worried the that she was she was a risk for aspiration um and then we had um one of the other lactation consultants feel around in her mouth 
and noticed that something felt strange. So she called an ENT mm -hmm. uh, to come and evaluate. And so while we were in the NICU, Laurel was also diagnosed with a submucous cleft palate, um, which is... She's basically got a very high arch in her mouth mm -hmm. and a bifid uvula, which is like your tonsil thing. It's like kind a of little two. little bit. It looks so, like two. Now it's fun because doctors are like, ooh, I want to see that. Like whenever we go <laughs> in somewhere. But um, on the note of the lactation consultant, because she eventually was no longer allowed to try doing um, breast milk orally, she very gracefully talked to the doctor into allowing me to pump all of the milk out and then still it's gonna make me cry it was such a sweet moment um and it was so difficult to not be able to do it but um she allowed she talked the doctor into allowing laurel to latch and um and it was like i she took pictures of it for me and it was like just i don't know it was such a beautiful moment that i got to share with laurel that i don't think i would have gotten to had she not fought for that for me and she didn't have anything to gain except that she, I think she could just tell that I needed it. And I think she felt like Laurel needed it. Um, so that was a little bit later actually in our NICU story, but it's on the note of the lactation. And I just, I, I am so thankful to her for that. And I've messaged her several times and told her what a big deal that is for me. But yeah, the breastfeeding stuff was really, really hard. And mm -hmm. I struggled and I still struggle with all of that and not being able to do that for her. Mm -hmm. Um, so other issues with Laurel, um, we, as we're kind of going along, she becomes more responsive. Mm -hmm. um, the, they get the swelling to go down with the use of some medications. She still had um, some kind of protein that they felt like she might have an infection. Mm -hmm. It was some kind of inflammation protein mm -hmm. um, in her blood that was high. And so because we couldn't really get rid of that, we went on a round of antibiotics that we were warned could cause hearing loss. But mm -hmm. at the time, we thought that she could die of this infection that she may have in her body. Let me back up. During her birth, she had several strokes and blood transfusions as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that was all very fast. Platelet. But yeah, mm -hmm. platelet. I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, we didn't know if, if she had blood problems. We didn't know if she had infection problems. Like that's kind of all part of that. So we did start that antibiotic. Um, she did well on it. She seemed to not really have that protein that much anymore. We kind of got past that point. That to say that later before we were released, I'm probably skipping parts. I'm skipping around a little bit, but before we were released, we did our um, newborn infant hearing screening, which she did not pass. And she has since been, and this is a whole another long journey to find a diagnosis and get all of that taken care of, but she does have hearing loss, which may or may not be related to that medication. We don't know that for sure. We don't know what the, the cause is of that for sure, but that was kind of mm -hmm. part of what was going on with her at the time. We also, one of the hurdles, I guess, to get out of the NICU, we were in the NICU for six weeks. We started physical therapy there. Mm -hmm. um, so I was big on like, let's do everything we can to help her. Yeah. And so the therapist was coming into our room and doing PT. And so we would bend her little arms. Everything was super stiff. Um, like her joints were stiff and she wouldn't move her wrists or her elbows or her knees. And so we would do all these little exercises to try to get her to loosen up. Also with the feeding stuff, um, they let yeah. me like stick my finger in while they were doing her like for the, for the sucking reflex, I would put my finger in her mouth while they were doing the NG tube to try to like stimulate all of that. 
Mm -hmm. Um, but we were kind of told like to get out of here, we kind of need to make a decision about feeding, about feeding. At at some point it became that feeding was the reason we were still there. Yeah. So let's, (laughs) let's talk about that feeding piece. Um, so you, you, you weren't able to, to produce the milk that you thought you might be able to, um, they were still feeding her through the NG tube. Uh, she did have that suck reflex, I guess. So Uh she had that. Did they try to bottle feed her and she just didn't gain? Or what were some of their thoughts on kind of walking us through that, um, that feeding issue to, to go home? We tried bottle feeding a few times, um, with the help of a nurse Mm -hmm. and they were still doing the NG feeding throughout. So it's my opinion, my non-medical opinion that she wasn't ever super hungry. Um, she was being fed a lot, like basically constantly through this NG tube. So I don't think she had a huge drive to, to feed. That being said, it was definitely a struggle. Like there's, if they had just pulled the NG tube and said, let's try it. I don't think she would have been able to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was technically able to. Yes, um, because that suck swallow it was coordination was just not there. Yeah. Um, which it would kind of like pull up in her mouth yeah. and she kind of, you know. Yeah, that's a typical it. thing to happen when you have a baby that is, has suffered a traumatic an, an assault like that, like her birth was. We're talking 25 minutes of resuscitation. Um, so what were her APGAR scores? Do you remember? It was like zero, 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 one, two. They're actually the worst I've ever heard. (laughs) I'm sure that there are worse ones, but I haven't heard of them. Yeah. Um, zero, 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 one, two were her APGAR scores. So, um, so she was, she was essentially deprived of oxygen for a, for a substantial amount of time. A very substantial amount of time. Um, And who knows how long before she was born. I mean, she had a heartbeat, but yeah. they think that she was struggling with yeah. that in, in, in utero, utero too. Well. So she's and, so, and she's to kind of go back, they said the cord, is that what they... Was around her neck twice, wow. wrapped around twice. So yeah. Um, so what, what is the di- or what is the terminology that they use to describe that, um, that oxygen deprivation? hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy is what her um, she had severe there's mild moderate and severe yeah she was severe um that was her diagnosis at this point uh we were told um she will have cerebral palsy she's most certainly going to have cerebral palsy the neurologist came and visited with us yes the yes the the neurologist came in um and she kind of they did an MRI while she was in the NICU and they showed us the MRI and the MRI is it's essentially global brain damage is what we're seeing. Yeah, there were several spots that were black from strokes and from just the oxygen deprivation. Yes. It was not a pretty picture. Yes. So uh, the neurologist at this point, you know, she's, she's basically like, she's, she's, she most certainly will have cerebral palsy. Um, We can't really say you they they how bad it will be they, they won't tell you you know nobody will tell you what's nobody gonna happen will say in exact words what what they think is gonna happen but, but we're all fairly certain that it'll be this child's never gonna walk this child she didn't she said didn't, there's a there's a good chance that, that but the impression was very much yeah. this child's not gonna walk this child's not gonna talk this child's probably never gonna eat by mouth 
it was not a pretty picture. It was not. But they was, didn't say definitely. No, they were they didn't very say much definitely. like, well, we can't really tell you what's going to happen. But in most cases like this, this is, this what, is what you're looking at. And so we are like, wow, that's, 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 that's a lot. That's, that's but we will, yeah. we'll, we've been through this so far and we will do whatever we've got to do to take care of yeah. this kid. And she's our kid and we'll, we'll just muscle through and we'll yeah. just figure it out as we go so, yeah and in the meantime we're kind of fighting with them a little bit I'm not gonna lie about the feeding stuff um yeah. because because she had that reflex and we felt like she could do it um so we basically made them do a swallow study with her because that's the only way we were going to know for sure if she was aspirating aspirating um which the hospital we were at is not really set up to do that for pediatrics. To do that kind of intensive feeding yeah. therapy in the NICU. It just yeah. wasn't really. Or to run that test even. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. we've had the other ones. Yeah. So um, they basically, they take her without anyone that she knows and try to feed her for this swallow study. She cries. Everything goes straight to her throat. So she fails this swallow study. So now they feel like, okay, she failed. You, We gave her the swallow study. She's failed it. Most likely, they felt like even if she didn't like physically cough, um, that neurologically her brain was most likely just not sending the signal to swallow that swallow. she is choking to produce that cough. So they felt neurologically she wasn't capable. She probably wasn't capable of producing that pro protective cough to make sure that she doesn't aspirate. So now we're faced with look, she's doing great otherwise. So you want to take her home. She's probably going to need a feeding tube. And this is not something that we wanted to hear at all. Yeah. We have always felt like she can do more than anyone is giving her credit for. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, I guess we're from just both stubborn and in that way. And um, she's been very clear from the beginning, Laurel, that she can do, she, she's going to do what she wants to do. She's going to do what she wants to do. So I remember when she was still in the NICU, we were driving to the hospital one day and I said to Christina, because it was apparent to everyone, the staff, um, that this child has drive. This child is determined. And I remember telling Christina, I was like, that's either going to play really well to her favor, or in some cases it may be detrimental because if she decides she's going to do it, she she's going to do it. Right. But if she decides she's not going to do it, <laughs> she's not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And there's not going to be yeah. a whole lot of middle ground there where we can convince her that I know you don't want to, but this is something you need to, to do. So I remember having that conversation fairly early on because it was just so obvious to everyone that met her. This was a driven child. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were not willing <laughs> to accept necessarily that she wasn't going to eat. Like right. I remember saying to one of the nurses when we were trying to decide if we were going to do a G-tube, which is a placement in through the stomach instead of through the nose, which is um, frankly just easier to deal with mm -hmm. um, and more permanent. And I remember turning to them and saying, um, well, but what if we get home and in a week she's um, just feeding by bottle? And they kind of, they didn't laugh at me, but you could tell it was almost like, Okay. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. If that happens, then um, yeah, we would have to take the G tube out. And so <laughs> I didn't realize how silly that comment was until two years into feeding therapy later yeah. um, when we still have this G tube. Um, it's just a, that is just such a tough journey. Um, yeah. We did finally decide to get the G tube and we also got a fund application because we, which means that they tie part of her stomach around her esophagus 
and that's to prevent reflux or um, aspiration to the lungs just because she was seen as such a risk neurologically, like you mm -hmm. said, of aspirating and not being able to cough it up. So we went ahead with our recommendation on getting the fundoplication and the G-tube, which is kind of a more serious surgery. They had to actually open her up instead of doing it laparoscopically. And I remember very distinctly um, the doctor, we were very anxious to leave the NICU, even though we had great friends there and everyone was very kind to us. We just wanted to go home with our kid. So the doctor was able to get us in late on a Friday to do mm -hmm. that surgery. I remember he went in and we were there with our parents and, you know, we're just very nervous. I'm going to say maybe it took an hour and a half, maybe two, I don't know, somewhere in there. It was lengthy, but not forever long. The doctor came around the corner and um, had his head down and he's yeah, shaking his head. his head like this. And we're like, oh my God, what? He's like, <sighs> and I'm like, oh my God, this is it. Like what has happened? And he was just like, everything's fine. It turns out it was just, he, he was had a really tired. long week. And so I was like, oh God, the delivery doctor, that was not nice of you. Um, which, which he's a great doctor. I don't have anything yeah, we ended bad really to say about him, him, but it would just scare the crud out of us when he came around that corner looking depressed and tired. Um, the surgery went well. Yeah. Um, he did tell us, um, interestingly that there, and I can't remember what it's called, but there was a particular vein it goes down um, that, the leg. It's like the femoral artery or something. I can't remember specifically what it was, but he said in Laurel, it's on the opposite side that it should be. And he said that happens in about 30% of cases. Um, so I'm thinking that was to the myself. First time somebody noticed like something internally well, the, was different. I the submucous cleft yeah. was the first. Yeah. And then and we she got has that sacral dimple. Yeah. And we didn't know that at the time, though. We, we, I was just like, that's weird. Yeah. We, we noticed that, you know, that little dimple there was strange, but. So now we've had two little extra pieces of like puzzle, the puzzle that at the time we still didn't realize were going to play kind of a much larger role in her story than what we realized. But I'm just thinking at this point, okay, like, cool, we need to get this kid a lottery ticket. Yeah, she's, like, she's so weird. Like, she's there's, cool there's so much strange stuff going on with her. <laughs> like, it's, I mean, what are the chances that you have a, birth that's that traumatic and then you have this submucous cleft palate which the doctor that diagnosed it said you know that can happen just because they have their tongue raised during you know, part of the during part of the development so you know nobody's really can looking any deeper into that and she's been through so much like why would they really you know what I mean like so you know so then that that little piece of information came out so um, in hindsight um, makes sense now Thank you for listening to part one of Mandy and Christina's podcast. Tomorrow we will release part two, which will take us further and deeper into the journey of Laurel's diagnosis and trying to follow Christina's gut instinct searching for answers and find out why they'd love you to wear green on October 23rd. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.